Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, uh, we started in a series on, on uh, Romans, and we went through Romans up until we just had gotten started. Then we came to Christmas, and we took a little time out. We're taking the next three weeks out, just so you know, and we're doing a three-week series. And then we're going back to the book of Romans. We'll be back there at the end of this month. But we're starting a three-week series called Thrive, and we're going to be in it this week, next week, and the week after. And this might be a, a foreign thought to some of you, and I think cognitively would say, oh, no, 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 I get that. I know that. I, I totally get that. But the idea is this, that the creator of the universe, the holy God, the perfect God, the God who knows everything, the God who made everything, the great creator, his greatest desire for you is that you would be blessed, that you would live the abundant life, and that you would thrive. That's actually the heartbeat of God. That's actually absolutely what God, the holy creator, that's what he wants for you. Now, some of you say, well, it doesn't feel like it. Doesn't feel like it right now. Didn't feel like it six months ago. I'm telling you this, and we're going to look at it. You need to understand this. The creator wants you to thrive in every aspect of your life. Look at what we see. You know, in the book of Genesis, you know, you get to the book of Genesis, and you're reading chapter one, and you see the creation story, and, and everything is being created. And then toward the end of the chapter, he's creating man. And immediately following the creation of man, this is Genesis 1, at the end of the chapter, it says then, meaning the next thing right after God created man, it says this. God blessed the man. God is already blessing. The first thing he did after he created man is he is blessing man. And he said, be fruitful, fruitful, right? Multiply. This is all of God's language. Fill the earth. Not just like, hey, do okay down there. Muddle your way through. Kind of just as long as things are so-so. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, be multiplied, fill the, fill the earth, govern the earth, reign over it. That's the heart of God. God wants you to thrive. And we can say again that, hey, cognitively I understand that, but do I really believe that? And that's not really my life experience. And, and that's not where things have exactly been going. We see the psalmist says this, may the Lord richly Bless both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. God's desire for you is that you would be blessed and that you would be a blessed life. Now I have to stop because of the heresy that is out there today and I have to address this. And it, it, it pains me that we even have to say this. But there is a theology out there. There is a, 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 a theological idea that is out there. And unfortunately, in the American church, in the other parts of the world, it's very prevalent. And it's what's known as prosperity theology. Okay, so let me give you, just so I don't want anybody to confuse this. When we say God wants to bless you, God wants you to thrive, God wants you to live the abundant life, I don't want there to be any confusion. Prosperity theology is basically the idea that this, that you should always be physically healthy, that you should always be materially wealthy, and you should always be personally healthy. And any deviation from that is, is just not the plan of God. That's just not what God wants. That, that's not God's. No, God wants you to be materially wealthy. You know, we call the prosperity theology, uh, the, it's called the, the health and wellness uh, uh, theology. It's called the name it, claim it theology. I like to call it the blab it, grab it theology. That as long as you say it out loud, now God has to go to work. And, and it relegates God to this cosmic butler where just because you said a certain, certain thing or you did a certain thing, now God is obligated and God has to hop to it and God is at your beck and call. And, and it's this idea, prosperity theology is the idea that the greater your faith, 
the greater your wealth. Like, hey, I had faith. I believed. I claim it. Yeah, we don't tell God what to do. We don't do a certain thing and then God has to, has to hup to and, and behave in a certain way. That's prosperity theology. We don't subscribe to prosperity theology because we don't believe it's in the least bit biblical. Do I believe God wants you to thrive? I know that for a fact. Do I believe he wants to bless you? Absolutely. And I believe he wants to bless you and I believe he wants you to thrive in the midst of a world where sin has entered the picture which means that sickness still happens and that hardship still happens and that challenges still happen. All of these things still happen. At the end of the day, what you, the very bottom line, what you need to understand about prosperity theology is just flat out unbiblical. And so what we're going to be talking about the next three weeks is, is kind of what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to thrive? And, and how do I respond to that? Because I, I want you to grasp that. I want you to get that. Uh, Jesus said this in the Gospels in John 10. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. In John chapter 9, Jesus just healed a blind guy, and he healed him on the Sabbath. And so the religious officials and all the Pharisees, they're all upset that Jesus healed a blind guy because he did it on the Sabbath, and they just thought that was a terrible thing. And so now Jesus gets into this long conversation. He's trying to describe who he is and, and, and what he's about. And, and he, he gets into John chapter 10, and he starts talking about the good shepherd, and he calls himself the good shepherd. And in opposition to that, he says, look, the thief... And and he's not necessarily only talking about the devil. He's talking about all people who are, who, are, who are working against him. He says their purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And then in contrast to that, Jesus says this, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. To give them a rich and satisfying life. That's what God wants. Some of you would have, would have memorized or you would have heard in older translations, I came that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly, right? And that word abundantly in the Greek is the word perison. And it means this. It's a, it's a mathematical word. It had mathematical uh, connotations. And it means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more superfluous, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than one would anticipate or expect. Right. Now watch. This is exactly what I said. God's intent through Christ is that you would live a life that is superfluous. It is very highly, it is beyond measure, that you would live a life that, that is of a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than one would anticipate or expect. That is God's desire. Jesus said, that was the reason that I came. We have this, uh, we have this uh, strange theological thought that Jesus came so that we could have salvation. Okay, salvation someday will happen. In the meantime, we just need to gut it out here. Like, that's, that's not theologically correct. Jesus' uh, eternal life is right now. If you, if you have a relationship with Christ, you are living eternal life right now. It's already started, and it just never ends. This is the life God has for you. The very beginning of the scripture, he said, I want to bless them. I want them to be blessed. It's the Hebrew word barak, and in the, uh, there is what's called the Septuagint. Some of you are familiar with that. Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament in about the second and third centuries BC. And you had a lot of Jews who are now living in Egypt and they've been scattered because of different captivities. And they translated the scripture into Greek. The Hebrew scripture was translated into Greek. And that word in the Greek, that word blessed in the Greek translation is the word eulogio. It's where we get our word eulogy. 
And when you give a eulogy at a funeral, you are speaking kindly of someone and remembering. But when it's applied to God, it means that God is confirming. He is affirming you. He is speaking blessing over you. He is speaking abundance over you. That's the life that God had designed for you the moment you came to Christ. That you would live a blessed and abundant life in the midst of heartache and pain, and sickness, right, but that you would still have this life full of joy, and so we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at it. I'm just going to give you a, a peek into next week because you don't want to miss it. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the one principle, the one principle that is most important, this one principle, that if we would grasp this principle, if we would begin to live this principle, we would begin to live the lives that God intended for us, the lives full of joy, the lives full of meaning, the lives full of purpose, the abundant life that God designed in the biblical context, we're going to look at that one principle next week. You don't wanna miss it? You wanna be here. The question that I'm asking today is, if that's what God designed for us, then why ain't it happening? Like, I'm just asking that question. Do you feel like I'm thriving? I'm living the abundant life. I'm living the blessed life in the midst of my heartache. In the Are we living that? Are we experiencing that? Are we experiencing lives of purpose and meaning and joy? Why ain't that happening? And furthermore, relative to our topic, why aren't we thriving? Why aren't we thriving? And maybe you are right now, but you've gone through seasons where you weren't. And maybe you've gone through seasons where you're, and you ain't now. You don't sense that you are thriving, living a life of meaning and purpose, full of joy. Right? Because I know some of you, and I know some of you who are battling cancer, and you would still say, oh, I'm living a life of meaning and a life of purpose, and I am full of joy. So if we're not thriving, then I think we ought to stop and ask this question, why aren't we thriving? And so we're going to look at our text today, Mark chapter 4. I know it took me a while to get here, but I wanted to set this up. So if you'd stand to your feet, we're going to read this from Mark chapter 4. Finally, Mark chapter 4, I'm starting at verse 1. And just FYI, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we desperately want for you to have a Bible. I think it's important that you read, touch, look at your own Bible. And so you don't have to go buy one. We, we bought them. We put them in the lobby. They're there for you. Just grab one. They're on high-top tables. You just need to be aware. We have them in two languages, English and Spanish, and you need to get the right one. This is uh, starting in verse 1. It says this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the seashore, and a very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And he sat in the boat a little while. All the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, just like this one. Verse 3, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots... It died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on the fertile soil. And they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as, it, as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So, Father, this morning we're asking in the brief time remaining that you would give us understanding. Holy Spirit, we need you to teach this morning. We desperately need to hear from you and no one else. 
Prepare our hearts now. Prepare our minds. Give us ears to hear. And then give us courage to act on whatever you tell us, Holy Spirit. I'm expecting, Spirit, that because people come in here in all different walks, that you'll say different things to different people. But I trust you, Spirit, that you'll speak exactly what each one needs this morning. Do this for your glory, God. Do this in a way that draws us to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so uh, we'll look at this then. We'll look at this very passage this morning. So this is a scene that we've seen, and we've seen this in the scripture before. We see this exact scene in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus starts to teach, and you'll, you'll find this all throughout the scriptures. Anytime Jesus went to speak, crowds gathered. I, mean, I like to say this all the time. People who are nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. And they liked hearing him. And they liked hearing him teach. And this is that kind of situation. Jesus is on the, uh, the shore of Galilee. And he starts talking. And next thing you know, bam, big crowd gets around. And so as he did in Luke 5, Jesus hops in a boat and just pushes out into the water just a bit. You can imagine. He just pushes back a bit. And now the crowd can kind of get around him just a bit on the shore, and his voice carries across the water. And loud crowds would stop and listen to Jesus. And so in this passage, Jesus starts to tell this story. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across the seed, right, he's, he's scattering seeds. Some passages say he's a sowing seed. He's throwing seed. This guy's got a bag. He's wearing a bag. The bag is full of seed. And this guy just walks through the field like this. And he's just throwing seed out there. He scattered it across his field, and it says some of the seed fell. Well, now he's going to tell you about the different types of soil. There are different types of soil. This guy's just just tossing out seed. And he's going to tell us about the different types of soil. And some of you know this story. He's going to tell us about the hard soil. He's going to tell us about the shallow soil. He's going to tell us about the thorny soil. And he's going to tell us about the good soil. And then, I love this, this just puts me at ease. How many of you uh, like it when other people look stupid? Okay, I do, because it always makes me feel good about me, right? And so Jesus tells this whole story, and it's all done telling the story. And then later, when he was alone with the 12 disciples, the disciples who walked with him every day, they, they go with him everywhere. They travel with him everywhere. They, they do everything together. He's with those 12 and with other people who are gathered around, and they asked him what the parable meant. Translation, the disciples, the guys who spent all the time in the world with him, he tells this story, and they're like, boss, we didn't, we didn't really get that. And that's kind of what they say. And so Jesus is going to back up now, and he's going to explain the story, right? And here's what he says. He said, okay, listen, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Now, church folks, if you've been in church all your life, we've got to stop and think about this critically. We've got to try to understand what this means. Because if you're a church folk, if you grew up in the church, you've been in church all your life, this is what we think it means. It's not what it says. It's what we just assumed. And what we think is, oh, yeah, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Those others are the people who don't know about Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's not what the text says. It just says you take the word of God to others, which means this. He's talking to church folks too. He's talking to people who've had a relationship with Christ for a long time. The word of God is dispensed to us just the same. Our hearts and our minds are different types of soil just like everybody else's. The word of God will go out this morning. Hopefully the word of God goes out here every Sunday. What do we do with it? That becomes the question. And then he says this, He's going to talk about the soils again. We know this. The good soil is where the seed is going to grow best. I mean, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I think I got that one figured out. Good soil, good seed, good crop, right? But what we want to do is we want to focus on the thorny soil. 
That's what we want to do. We want to study the thorny soil. So to study the thorny soil and to understand the thorny soil, we're going to go back to the first time when Jesus was telling the story in verse 7. Because in verse 7, he said he'd already talked about the, 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 shallow, the hard soil and the, the stones and all that. And he said, other seed then fell among the thorns. That's what we want to look at. And though that grew up and choked. Now, what he's talking about grew up here is not the plant. The plant didn't grow up. The thorns are growing. And because the thorns are growing, they choke out the plant that was trying to go, and the net result is that there is no, no grain. Got it? I'm throwing seed, I'm throwing seed, I'm throwing seed, I'm hoping it's all on good soil. But some of it falls on thorny soil. And what happens when it falls on the thorny soil is the thorns grow and they choke out that plant which was intended and designed to, for our purpose, thrive. The intent for that plant is that that plant would thrive, that it would produce. And what he's saying here is those thorns grow up and they choke it out. And at the end of the day, it doesn't thrive. It doesn't produce. For, the, for our sake, we would say this. There's no meaning to life. There's no purpose to life. There's no joy in the midst of heartache. Okay, now when he's explaining it after they said we didn't really get that, now let's look at what he says about the thorny soil. Now he says the seed that fell among the thorns, here it is again, represents others. It doesn't say unbelievers. It just says others. He's talking to every one of us sitting in the room. I don't care who you are this morning. You say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Perfect. You're hearing the word. It's talking about you. You say, I've been following Jesus all my life. Perfect. It's talking about you when you hear the word of God. It says others who hear God's word, but here's the problem. All too quickly, the message is crowded out. We might say choked out. This is the problem. You're wondering, why am I not thriving? Why are we not thriving? Why don't I have a sense of purpose? Why don't I have a real sense of meaning? Why don't I find joy even in my hardships? It's because of the thorns in life. That's the problem. The thorns grow up and they're choking us out. And we don't experience the abundant life that he wanted us to experience. We're not experiencing the blessed life. We're not experiencing the life of meaning and purpose. We're not talking about prosperity theology right now. We're talking in a sin-filled world where hardship and sickness still happens. The thorns are what prevent it. Okay, then what we would know is how and what are these thorns? So here they are, and he lists three thorns, and this is what I would keep track of. These are the things we're going to spend our time talking about. What are these three thorns, and what's the impact that they have? Well, the thorns are the worries of this life. That's number one, and we're going to talk about it. The worries of this life are actually a thorn. Thorns choke you out. Thorns prevent you from thriving. Thorns ex uh, prevent you from experiencing life the way that God intended. Prevents God from blessing you fully like he wanted to. So the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, we're going to talk about that, and the desire for other things. Those are the three thorns. And I think we ought to pay attention to these because if you're not experiencing that kind of life, joy-filled, meaningful, purposeful life, regardless of the situation, I'm just telling you, it's because of one of these three thorns. And so look, at them. the first one we talked about is the worries of this life. Uh, some translations will say the cares of this world. But the key, uh, the key word here is this. That's the key word because it's the, care, the worries of this life life, this world, we're all caught up in this, right? That's, that's what's getting us into trouble. Now, Peter, the apostle Peter writes in his letter to the church, and he says this, dear friends, 
He's writing to other believers now, by the way. Again, he's writing to believers. I warn you, and here's what you are. You are temporary residents and foreigners. I'm warning you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly, this world's desires that wage war against your souls. Do we ever think of that? Like the, the desires of this world, they're waging wars against our souls. And so he's warning them about it. He says, you're aliens, you're strangers here, you're foreigners here, right? Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, and Paul said this, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. And what Paul is actually saying when we talk about the cares and the worries of this life, he's saying, hey, bodies below, minds above. We live down here. This is where your physical body is. This is where my physical body is. That is true. But he's saying, but your head... Your mind needs to be focused up here, up here. And so the question that it makes me think of then is, are we living in this world? Are we living in his world? And the reason we want to bring this up is because that's a thorn. We get so caught up in what's going on down here. Like this is where we get lost. We lose track of the fact that we are just visitors. It's so crazy how much stuff we do for, for the approval of this world instead of the approval of the Father who created us, who wants to bless us, who wants us to thrive, who wants us to live a life always of meaning and purpose, and yet we make it all about this world. And so here are a couple questions that I just thought of. Number one, what do you spend your time thinking about? Do you spend your time thinking about this world? Or is most of your time that world? Are we caught up in the gods of this world? Or are we caught up in God? Think of all the things that have become gods today. Material possessions, right? Our jobs, image, status, climbing the ladder, making a name for myself. All the things that we do that are this world. Now, just everybody relax, so I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. Sports has become a god. Sports has clearly become a god. And we got a lot of folks on Sunday morning that worship at the God of this world and studied coming to worship the God. And we've made that okay. I'm not judging anybody. You, you, you talk to God. What is God saying to you? But it's, very, it's become very clear to me that in our culture, we've become of this world, even God's people. Here's another question, right? What shapes your thinking when you have a big decision to make? Where do you go for help with that decision? Do you go to CNN? No, you're a Christian, so you go to Fox. <laughs> you pick up the newspaper? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you going to social media looking for answers? Are you kidding me? See, all of that stuff is of this world. In and of itself, it's not wrong. So I poke fun at everybody. In and of itself, it's not wrong. But this world or his world, right? And the reason I, the reason I just want to bark about it for a minute is, is it's for our own good because it's a thorn. Because wouldn't you like to have a life of meaning and purpose? Wouldn't you like to have joy in the midst of hardship and trial? Okay, well, we're not gonna. Not if we're caught up in this world because he's already warning us. That's one of the major thorns. So one of the thorns is the worry as of this life. Here's another one. It's the lure of wealth. Notice it's not wealth, and we should never be confused about that. Money is not the root of all evil. 
You tell me, what is the? Oh, it's the love of money. It's the lure of wealth. And that word lure in a lot of uh, translations is translated the deceitfulness of wealth. See, wealth is a deceiver. Wealth keeps telling you one thing that isn't true. And the deception of wealth is this, that money promises what it can never deliver. Money is promising things that it can never deliver. Money promises that you're going to be happy and it promises that you're, you're going to, everybody's going to like you and you're going to be popular and you're going to have a name and you're going to have an image and everything's going to go well for you. And you all know that. I mean, some of you have a lot of money. You'd say, no, no, no. It, it doesn't do all that. Money's not wrong. It's the lure. It's, being, it's when we're deceived by wealth. Right? That's the bigger problem. Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous sermon, and we think he probably gave it a number of times, but it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus is talking about all the possessions of this world, the possessions of this world. And finally he says, hey, bottom line, here's the deal. Nobody can serve two masters. Here's what's going to happen if you're trying. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. But bottom line, you cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. And relative to our context today, what I would say is this. It's just a thorn, and it will choke you out. There's absolutely, listen, I know people in this church who have lots of money, and they are generous, and they fund ministry beyond what you can, you, you, would, be, you would be blown away. But I know other people who have spent their life just chasing it. I mean, everybody in our country wants two things, fame and fortune. How's that going? Like, we know, we know about all the studies about people who win the lottery. We've seen all the people who get fame and fortune. Their life becomes a train wreck. Why? It's a thorn. The lure where we just, man, i got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. That is a, it, it is a thorn, and it will choke us out. So I'm just warning you. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to bless you. God wants your life to always be full of meaning and purpose. It won't be. Like, that's just the fact. It won't be if we're getting choked out by these thorns, right? So there's the worries of this life. There's the lure of wealth. And then there's a third one that he mentions there, and it's the desire for other things. And this word desire is really best understood as lust. And it's not even just a sexual lust. It is just a lust. I got to have more. I got to have more. And it's an inability to be content. It's an inability to be content, Right? Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. It's very interesting to me. So just so you know, I don't watch. But sometimes Kimmy has on HGTV and it's on and I notice it. So I'm just telling you that. And it's so funny to me because in our country, man, we just have everything. We have everything. Like there are people from other countries who would come and are like, oh, my goodness, you have indoor plumbing? You, you have running water. What more do you people need? And we're watching this uh, show. Kimmy's watching a show on HGTV. <laughs> and, and they walk in, and it's got to have the big, you know, now we call it the primary bath. It's the primary bath. And they walk into this house. They're, they're, they're touring these huge homes. I mean, monsters. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But they walk in, and they're looking at a new house, and they walk in. It's got this big master bath, and it's like tubby-tubby over here, and you got the shower, and they got like six sinks almost or whatever, whatever. And there's always somebody that walks in, and it's just like, this is not going to do. This is just not going to do. I'm like, you can house a family in that room, you know? And that's great. But it's, it's this inability to be content. It's the inability to be content. And so I would say, be on the watch. 
be on the watch. That's a thorn. That's another one of these thorns. And if we're lured by these thorns, these thorns choke us out. And I'll say this again, you are not gonna thrive. I'm not gonna thrive. We are not gonna experience the blessed life that God had intended for us. We are not gonna experience the joy of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, because we're caught up in a lot of this, in a lot of this. We have this idea that he who dies with the most stuff wins. Let me just, let me just clear this up for you. He who dies with the most stuff dies. And the question is, what then? People with lots of stuff, die. they die just like everybody else, right? So here's what he told us in the story. He says, hey, all too quickly, the message is crowded out by what we say, the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And at the end, then he says this. So guess what? No fruit is produced. There is no thriving. There is no life as God intended. It's just never going to happen. We wonder sometimes, man, why, why do I feel that empty feeling? Why do I just, why, why am I feeling that? I'd look for a thorn. That's what I'd do. I'd look for a thorn and I'd say, man, what's the thorn in my life? What's the thorn? So, so, so what he did here is he's warned us about these three thorns. And he said, stay away from these thorns. Stay away from these thorns. You've got to stay away from these thorns. Now, some of you, you've raised kids and you, you, you've learned this. Like negative reinforcement is not a good way to teach people. Amen. It just doesn't work. Hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Make sure you're not doing this. And I don't want to leave this, this message and say, make sure you're not doing this. And so I just want to make this as simple as I can for you. Here is what I would tell you. Let's pray. So Jesus. So I read this story one time. And uh, the illustration is a guy who goes up north for fishing. And he's an advertising executive. And the guy's a genius. He's a big executive. And he's, he's been really successful at this whole thing about advertising. And he wants to go up north. And he's going fishing, right? So he walks into this little bait shop. And as he opens the door, there's a sign on the door. And it's just, uh, it's been hand scribbled. And it says, hey, don't forget the ice. Don't forget the ice. And so he walks in. He's getting the bait. And they talk a little bit about where he's going to fish. And how's the fishing going up there. And, and uh, he says, hey, uh, just want to, just for, for what it's worth, I'm an, uh, an advertising executive, and if you give me my bait for free, I'll give you a tip, and you'll instantly triple your, your ice sales. I can tell you just, it's that easy, it won't cost you anything. The guy thinks, okay, I'm game, what do I do? And he took the sign down that said, don't forget the ice, put a big X to it, he flipped it over and said, remember the ice. Because teaching people through negative reinforcement is just not very effective. So I don't want to just tell you, stay away from thorns, stay away from thorns, stay away from thorns. And so I'm going to leave you with a thought. I'm going to encourage you to be back next week because we're going to look at the one principle, which we'll get into this, but I'm going to leave you with a thought, just something that you can just sink your teeth in and, and just sit on for a while. It's the big so what today. And the big so what is this, man, body's below, mind's above. That's our life. We're in this world. We always say this, right? We're in this world and not of it. Just like, our bodies are here. We go through this life. You all are going to go to work. You all are going to go to school. You all are going to go to, in your neighborhood. You're going to shop in the local stores. You're going to pump gas at local gas stations. You're going to interact with people and, you know, next door. Man, you live down here. I live down here. This is where we live. But our minds got to stay up here. Our minds got to stay focused on God. When we make decisions, we make decisions with the perspective of this, this world, not this world. Right, when we're saying, hey, what's influencing you? Where are you getting your cues from? Our cues got to come from up here, not this world. 
not this world. When we're looking for approval and we're desperately seeking approval, right, approval of this world, not the approval of this world, right? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you're so good that your intent is that we would thrive. We thank you that you're a God who desperately wants to bless us. You wanna bless your children. We understand, Father, that that doesn't mean that we'll never get sick. It doesn't mean we'll never have challenges. It doesn't mean we'll never have hardship. It means in the midst of that, God, there can be joy, there can be meaning, there can be a purpose. I thank you for the people here who are living that out. And I pray that you strengthen all of us this morning, God, that we would just be heads up to the thorns, that we pay attention, and we remember, God, which world we belong to, that you've called us, that you've saved us, that you have a purpose for our life. God, that you have something far greater than what this world could ever offer us. I'm grateful for that, Lord. Thank you. 